our great God, he is incomprehensible. We long to know him better through his word. If we belong to him, that is our heart's desire. But where we reach the end of knowledge and the end of understanding, let us learn to adore where we cannot fathom. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message we began last time where we are taking a look at the incomprehensible God. Jonathan, I want to pick up on what we just heard, though. Uh, You said that we need to learn to adore what we cannot fathom. If we can't fathom God, how do we adore him? Well, there just will be some things about God that we cannot ultimately fathom to use that old-fashioned word there will be there will be depths of understanding that are are simply beyond our human comprehension the limits of our mind and as creatures of this great god as those created by him we do need to learn when we reach the limits of our understanding simply to bow down in worship before him that's not necessarily something that comes naturally to us but in the message that follows in what we're going to hear in a few minutes here i really want to encourage us to respond in that posture to the truth about god that's made known to us and in those times when we reach the limits of our understanding Well, we're going to continue to look at this incomprehensible God in today's message. So if you can, hope you'll stay with us throughout the broadcast. If you ever miss a part of the program, you can always go back and listen to it by visiting our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. But let's continue the message. Here is Jonathan. Through the scriptures and in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the comprehensive word of God, the full revelation of God, not that God has told us everything, but he has told us everything that he wanted us to know. He has told us all that we need to know in order to honor him as creator. He has told us all that we need to know in order to be able to obey him. Remember again Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Everyone in ministry loves that verse. It's a tremendous get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, someone comes along with a a difficult question and you have no idea how to answer it. Well, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Let me just leave you to think about that. Uh, I commend it to you. (laughs) But what God has told us, he's told us in order to enable us to respond to him in obedience and faith. That's the point that's being made there. That's his purpose in Revelation. And his word is all that we need and more than we need. I often think back to that hymn, many will know it. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? What more can he say? There is a fullness to his revelation to us. It's not exhaustive in terms of his personal self-revelation. We couldn't cope with that anyway. But in the word of God, we have his true, his rich, his sufficient revelation of himself. Well, what are we to make of these things? Let me suggest three ways in which we need to respond practically to the self-revelation of this gloriously incomprehensible God. First, we need to be humbly accepting of what we do not know. 
we all find it frustrating not to know things. It starts in childhood. You only need to see another child whispering in the ear of a friend in the schoolyard, and there is this rising sense of indignation that you're out of the loop, this sense of injustice, this sense of urgency to know whatever is being said. If you're one of those government workers holding one of the four levels of clearance, you'll perhaps know that feeling that really your clearance should be one notch higher. You should be just a little bit more in the loop. If you read the news of that destroyed dossier on Pierre Trudeau, perhaps you shared that sense of indignation expressed by his biographer this week who described it as outrageous and a tragedy. Another commentator described it as a crime against Canadian history. Well, we all feel as though we should be fully informed, should be in that inner circle. And when it comes to knowing God and understanding God, it can actually drive us to distraction if we feel we've got a question that's been left unanswered, or worse still, if there is a question which seems unanswerable. For the person exploring the faith, that can actually be a real obstacle. You have a question about God, and you feel there's a limit to the answers you're receiving, and it just troubles you, it bothers you. Or as believers, we encounter one of those situations where two truths about God and his ways, they don't seem to sit well together. We can't reconcile two truths that we know. There's an unresolved tension there, and it just bothers us. Now, the danger will always be that we end up in a position of frustration or of doubt, and then we just give up in despair. But actually, I'd like to suggest that this dynamic, this tension, is exactly what we should expect. We should expect to hit some dead ends when we consider the deep things of God, the mysteries of our Creator. Theologian Herman Bavinck once said that mystery is the lifeblood of dogmatics, that is, of teaching about God. Mystery is essential to these things. And you and I, we need to learn to get along with a little bit of mystery when it comes to God. We need to learn to accept the fact that we are the creatures and not the creator. And we don't actually necessarily have a right to the answer to every question we pose. There is in all this a necessary place for faith, for trusting the God whom we may not fully understand. And at the end of the day, the reality is simply this. If we could find every answer, and if we could understand every answer we were given, well, then the God we worshipped would be a small God, unworthy of our praise and our adoration. We need to be humbly accepting of what we do not know. But next, we need to be responsive to what we do know. When we come to see that there are questions about God for which we don't have an answer, it's easy to become fixated on those things that we don't know, on the remaining gaps in our knowledge and our understanding. But the reality is that God has told us more in his word than we can ever fully grasp. What more can he say than to you he hath said? There is more than one lifetime worth of truth contained within this book. And I think that all of us who spend time digging into the Word of God only find that the further we go, the more we learn and the more we discover that we have yet to learn. And so we need to be very careful not to fixate on the unknown, on the unrevealed, on what God has chosen not to tell us. And rather, we need to give ourselves humbly to responding to what He has said. 
I've mentioned before that I kind of like airplanes and I take some interest in them. Whenever I fly, I'm keen to know a little something about the plane that I'm traveling in. I always find myself looking through the publications in the, in the seat pocket to see if there's anything of interest there. Inevitably, there really isn't very much. The in-flight magazine may have some general information on the airline's fleet, and that'll tell you maybe some basic information about the plane. And then, of course, there's the, the safety card, which is never very satisfying either, I have to say. But actually, the safety card, it is a vitally important document. The information that it gives me about the plane is crucial. It tells me how the plane will keep me safe in a dangerous situation. It tells me how to benefit from the safety which the plane can provide for me. It tells me what to do and what not to do on the plane. But it won't tell me some of the other things that I would really like to know about. It won't tell me the history of the plane's design. It won't tell me where all the components were made or assembled. It won't tell me about the navigation systems or the specifications of the engines. But it tells me what I actually need to know if I'm going to travel safely on the plane. The Bible isn't actually here to satisfy all my curiosity about God. It isn't here to answer each and every question I may have. It is here to tell me that I am a sinner and that God has sent his son to rescue me. It is here to tell me that I must respond to him in repentance and faith if I am to be saved. It is here to tell me that God requires my obedience. And you see, the constant danger for us is that we will set aside the safety card, if you like, because it doesn't scratch the itch of our curiosity. We'll close our minds and our hearts to God's revelation of himself in the scriptures because we have questions that aren't yet answered, questions that we'd like resolved. And in doing that, if we're not careful, we'll fail to hear the message of salvation that the word of God brings us will fail to hear the call to repent and believe, will fail to heed the requirement to obey. Yes, there are big questions that we won't have fully answered. There are complicated issues that the Bible doesn't fully resolve for us. You and I, we don't know God as he knows himself. We don't have insight into every aspect of his eternal being. But he has invited us to know him truly. He has come to us in the person of his son to make himself known. And his call on our lives, his call for response, it's not actually all that complicated. When Jesus, the son of God, appeared on the scene in Galilee, his call to people for response was really very simple. You'll remember it. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from sin, turn from rebellion and believe the good news the good news that I've come to save you, that I've come to rescue you from the consequences and the destruction of sin. Now, for those who responded, for those who believed and who followed him, they didn't pause to examine the origin of God or the mechanics of the incarnation of Christ. They didn't pause to examine the validity of Jesus' claims against those of other religions. And they didn't sit down with Jesus to debate the origins of evil. All those discussions are perfectly valid. And the Christian faith is, I believe, intellectually coherent, and it does bear close examination. But sometimes the debate and sometimes the questioning actually become the excuse not to respond. 
You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Incomprehensible God. It is part of our series, Who is Like Our God? And if you joined us late, have to leave early, or you ever want to go back and listen to a previous broadcast in our series, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. There you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. And when you stop by the website, you can find links there to connect with social media. You can check out our newsletter and our weekly e-devotional. You'll also find links there to our YouTube channel. And that's a great way to not only listen to, but also watch Jonathan's teaching. And if you like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, we'll keep you up to date anytime we post new content on there. So when you're on YouTube, look for Encounter the Truth, or we'll link you to it through the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. I've shared this anecdote here before, and many will remember it, but it came to mind for me again this week, and I thought I'd mention it. Charles Templeton, as uh, many will remember, was Billy Graham's associate in the early days of his evangelistic work. He was a church planter as well, founding the church on Avenue Road in Toronto that A.W. Tozer later pastored and that um, eventually became Bayview Glen Alliance Church. Anyway, Templeton quite quickly came into a period of intellectual doubt early on in his ministry surrounding the truth of the faith and the Word of God. Ultimately, he renounced his faith and became an atheist, penning a best-selling book entitled Farewell to God in the 1990s. It's a very sad story. But I was intrigued some years ago to watch an interview that Billy Graham gave on the whole saga. And Billy Graham said this essentially in the interview. He said, Chuck's problem at its core was not an intellectual problem as he claimed it was. His problem was actually a moral question. It was a, it was a, a problem to do with his obedience. He had lifestyle problems. By the time of the interview, Chuck was, I think, gone to his third marriage. And his doubts arose from there not from anywhere else. That was the core of the issue for him, said Billy. Now, that was quite a bold thing to say, but I thought it was tremendously perceptive. You see, God's revelation to us is not given to satisfy every intellectual question we have. His revelation is given as a call to obedience, ultimately what the Apostle Paul calls the obedience of faith submitting our lives to Jesus Christ. And when we're struggling with God's word, we need to ask the question, is my problem truly intellectual at its core, or is my problem that I just don't like what the word of God has to say? That's the major point of Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. See, God has given his revelation for the sake of our obedience. And obedience isn't all that complicated. It's very hard sometimes, but it's not actually all that complicated. I keep having Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 go through my mind. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, that is a hard thing to do, but it's not a complicated thing to do. 
And it's easy for us actually to use questions and doubts and intellectual problems to skirt the challenge of obedience. Those things can be a wonderful smokescreen if we want them to be. And I just wonder, I don't know this, but I wonder if even for some here today, that is precisely what may be going on in your heart and your life. I wonder if you're holding off submitting your life to Jesus Christ in the first place, ostensibly because of some intellectual question or problem, but actually, in all honesty and sincerity, you're just nervous of what it's going to look like, of what it's going to cost to make Jesus your Lord. Or as a believer, you're allowing yourself just to drift away from the Lord. You're allowing your heart to grow cool toward him. And what you're saying to yourself and what you're saying to others is this, that you've got some, some major intellectual barrier, some issue you're working through, some aspect of God's word that you just don't understand yet, you can't get your head around, and it's become a sticking point for you. And if you're being honest with yourself, the questioning is now becoming an excuse for disobedience, for drifting, for wandering. Maybe if you're being completely honest with yourself. The real problem is that you don't like what the Word of God has quite clearly said. Well, only you will know. But if that's the case, let me urge you to be careful. There are many honest and sincere questions that we all may have, issues that we struggle with, issues we need to work through, and it's legitimate to bring all those to the Word of God and to work through them prayerfully and carefully as best we can. But we need to take care, all of us, never to allow our questioning to become a cover for disobedience, an excuse to kind of sidestep the Word of God. We need to be humbly accepting of what we do not know. We need to be responsive to what we do know. And we must be hungry to know more. In Psalm 139 and verse 17, David writes, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. For David, the fact that the thoughts of God are vast in some, outnumbering the grains of sand on the sea, it makes those thoughts more precious to him and more wonderful to him. See, when it comes to knowing God, there's always more to know. And in fact, the more we know him, the more we realize how little we know of him and the more we hunger to grow in our knowledge of him. Of course, all this is very natural when it comes to a relationship. As we get to know someone in friendship or in family, in marriage, however long we've known a person, we always have more to discover. Those who are married know this especially well. You never reach that point in marriage, even after 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, you never reach a point where you stop learning more about the other person. And that's part of the joy and the wonder of it. God hasn't revealed himself exhaustively to us, to be sure. But he has revealed more of himself in his word than we will ever comprehend in this lifetime. There's always more to learn, always more to know, always more of God to experience. 
And if we are true believers, we long to know him better. I'm reading through Jeremiah at the moment, and the other morning I came across this wonderful exhortation in Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah 9 and verse 23. This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. Knowing God is at the core of who we are, and it's at the heart of what we do as the people of God. It is the essence of life itself. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 17 and verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. He's the incomprehensible one. There are depths to him that we will never plumb, heights that we will never reach, but there is an eternity's worth of growing in knowledge of God. I wonder if you and I are hungry today to know him more. I wonder if that's what we boast in, knowing the Lord as he's made himself known to us. I wonder if this majestic and this glorious God is our wonder and our delight. I wonder if thinking of him consumes our mental energy, fills our heart, and drives us again and again to his word. Where we reach the limits of our understanding, and we will and we do, we need to learn to move from inquiry and contemplation to praise and adoration. The Puritan Thomas Watson, who I've quoted a number of times in this series, he writes this, We can no more search out God's infinite perfections than a man upon the top of the highest mountain can reach the firmament or take a star in his hand. Oh, says Watson, have God-admiring thoughts. Adore where you cannot fathom. In heaven we shall see God clearly, but not fully, for he is infinite. He will communicate himself to us according to the bigness of our vessel, but not the immenseness of his nature. Adore then where you cannot fathom. Our great God, he is incomprehensible. We long to know him better through his word. If we belong to him, that is our heart's desire. But where we reach the end of knowledge and the end of understanding, what good advice that is for us. Let us learn to adore where we cannot fathom. Jonathan Griffiths wrapping up our message, The Incomprehensible God, part of a series where we're taking a look at the attributes of God. And if you missed any part of today's broadcast or any previous program in this series, you can always come to our website and listen online. Just stop by EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. We're able to be here on the station because of your generosity. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that you've picked out, Jonathan. It's called Key Bible Concepts. And why have you picked out this book? 
Well, this book is designed to help us grapple with some key vocabulary that we encounter when we study the Bible and we talk about the Christian faith. Words like sin, faith, holiness, justification, words that we'll use on the program here, but words that we may use but not fully understand. And you may find yourself, as you listen to Bible teaching, thinking, I, I really don't have a good understanding of some of this you know, Christian vocabulary, which seems to be pretty important. Well, this book is designed to give you a grounding in some key ideas, some key concepts, some key vocabulary that's foundational to the Christian faith. I think it's going to be a tremendous help for your own personal growth, your own personal study, and we'd love to get it into your hands. Well, we'd love to send you a copy for your gift of any amount this month. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. And again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. For producer Mark Bretta and our Bible teacher, Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.